Welcome to the C Word, the Conservatives podcast. Today we're talking about learning and teaching remotely. I'm Jenna Mathiasen, an objects conservator based in Kimmarlandshire. And I'm Chloe Rumsey, an objects conservator based in Greater Manchester. Welcome to the show, everyone. Hi, hi, hi. Today we're going to talk about all sorts of exciting things that we can do remotely these days, uh, in 2020 especially. At home? Why would we all be at home, Jenny? <laughs> I know, I can't possibly imagine. Um, <laughs> but anyway, we've got, a, we've got a very special guest host with us today. Libby, would you like to introduce yourself? Hello, I'm Libby Finney and I'm the Regional Collection Care Development Officer, long title, um, at the Museum of London. And my job is to provide conservation and collection care support for London region museums. And quite a large chunk of that comes through our training courses. Brilliant. Oh, that is a long title. You're right. (laughs) (laughs) Nice to speak to you. How's lockdown treating you? Uh, not too bad. I've gone through the whole being rushed off my feet when everybody wants to know about what to do with COVID and uh, mm. things are kind of balancing out a bit now. I think museums are taking a slightly longer, kind of a longer term look at things. So I'm uh, I'm managing to catch my breath a bit at the moment. Oh, good. A relief. Oh, well, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. You may have noticed that this year we can't really meet in person as much as we'd like. So everything has moved online and with this amazing shift, not just for the sector, but the whole world. Suddenly everyone knows what Zoom is um, <laughs> and people use Skype, have never Skyped before. And it's, I mean, it's it's been an amazing ride, to be honest. And I thought we would just talk a little bit about maybe our experiences of well, what kind of remote cpd like continued professional development and like training and stuff that we've been either up to or encountering or that sort of thing during this interesting time i know for me like my lockdown cpd i think when uh, the first lockdown happened we were told to work from home and uh, i found it really difficult to concentrate on all the emails and the and the paperwork and i just it, it was just it was just words but suddenly there were things available that had never been available before. Like there were webinars and they were free and you could just go and do these things. Like you could, you could, you know, watch amazing people share their knowledge online. And I loved it. And and I did that for ages and ages. And I was just soaking it all up because I could dip in and out of it, you know, because I, I don't know if anyone else out there has had this, but like I found that my attention span was really varied. So oh, yeah. it wasn't really all that easy to sit down and concentrate for like a long stretch of time like I was used to because conservatives you know they they kind of love focusing on one thing for a long time sometimes <laughs> okay it's sometimes I wonder if we have a slight reptile brain where we just don't get bored <laughs> or it's just like yeah this is I'm happy to do this for eight hours and not move and it's my favorite thing we're, we're insane people aren't we <laughs> <laughs> but suddenly that bit was broken like I just couldn't focus on things and I couldn't sit down and do one thing and part of that was because I was in a completely different environment I wasn't in the lab anymore there was so many little strange interruptions and a different routine and I found that the kind of online webinars and stuff that I I could just dip in and out of they were perfect they were exactly what I needed they topped up my confidence they made me feel like I was doing something valuable with my time not that paperwork wasn't that was also super valuable you know but I guess there was like that tiny little brownie point, like, yes, you're doing something good. And it was it was really nice. Although I have to say that this has now shifted massively into I sign up for all these things, being really keen still to learn. 
but I'm too exhausted to do this. <laughs> so it's kind of shifted for me personally. And if anyone else out there feels like that, it, it's okay. I'm sure we will all get through it. But I've really enjoyed the fact that there are now things so much more available for me to actually kind of peruse, I suppose. I, I've really enjoyed that because as I keep saying on this show, I'm poor. So I can't really like travel to all these fancy conferences in Italy and stay for a week somewhere and like just mingle with people it, it doesn't happen right so I, the fact that I can now do that sort of thing online instead that's kind of cool but I also recognize that not everyone may agree with me on that um, and it's not to say that I don't miss seeing people because I, I do actually miss seeing people but I do love that there's the option now of going to conferences for you know not all the money in the universe because that's really helpful to me well, Chloe, what have you been up to? Like, ha- have you have you found the energy to do anything? Well, I think I've had quite a different experience, though I've also experienced a change in my... So we're in lockdown uh, point two. And I think we spoke a little bit about the, this in lockdown one. And I think I probably exp- talked a bit about how I was feeling then. I went on furlough from March and I'm now on furlough again, having spent a short a couple of couple three months at work and the first time I think I just switched so far out of my normal life that I found it very very difficult to keep up with anything that was going on basically Mm, um and for example I'm if listeners don't know I'm a professional belly dancer and I haven't danced for about six months at all. But I have, you know, I've made entire wardrobes worth of clothes and knitted everyone I know socks. And, you know, it, I have been doing things. I have been making myself, keeping myself busy. Um, and the podcast has really kept me sane. <laughs> but I think it's only the podcast really that has that has kept the same through this period in my life because I was you know always running around always seeing people always doing things always signing up to stuff so I've been in terms of CPD doing a lot of research for the podcast and you know reading this for the review or doing this bit to talk about and all that but I'm very uh, driven by the motivation of needing to do something for work. So I found it quite Mm. difficult to push myself to signing up for things. And also I think it's worth saying that I'm, I'm also driven by, I'm driven by the, that would be a good, a bit, good bit of training. I'm going to sign myself up now for six months time and I can worry about it in six months time. And then (laughs) Because I've signed up and I'm the same with dance commitments as well. I say yes to things and then go, oh, no, now I have to talk to these people and perform this thing. But it makes me do things. So I've a lot of the CPD I've done in the past has been because I thought this would be good for you. Sign up now. Worry about it later. And then I've attended the thing and thought, oh, I'm so glad I did that. But because everything (laughs) is sofa based and also recorded the impetus isn't there to do it now. I see. And because it's on demand. <laughs> because it's on demand. So it's like oh. watching that film that you haven't watched ever and you still haven't 10 years later because there's no, you know, it's on Netflix. So who cares? You can watch it whenever, but you won't <laughs> because, there's, you know. So it's, uh, I think my own personal experience in the first lockdown was that way. And I still did reading. I still did that sort of thing. But there wasn't the, the you know the motivation to sign up to the thing now lockdown two 
I want to change that. So I'm really looking forward to speaking to Libby about the different things that I could do. I suppose also with different motivation levels. Okay, yeah. It's interesting that on demand doesn't really work for you because for me it totally works. You've always been very good at signing up to the things though. That's very sweet of you. And also it's totally okay to not do anything. This is a pandemic, you know. You don't have to be tip top and performing at all times. Like that's really not how humans work so <laughs> there's also that aspect of it um that you know we can't be doing things constantly and all the time as well we have to be mindful of that libby what have you been uh, what have you been doing during lockdown were you furloughed at any point or have you been like I, was, I i think um actually it came so quickly i think i was working from home on one day and then they said don't come back because you know we're all we're all going on lockdown. oh wow <laughs> The office is closed. <laughs> I am set up to work from home one day a week. And for me, because I give collection care advice, for the first two or three weeks, it was a bit quiet. And then I just got absolutely swamped with enquiries from museums about what should we do with emergency planning? How do we call people out? How can we check mm. collections? How do we clean things because of COVID? And I got absolutely swamped. So I, I'd started doing some future learn courses in my free time at the beginning of, of lockdown. And I don't think I finished more than one because by the end of it, I was just putting in every single minute of the day trying to keep up with work. And oh. it was it was quite, yeah, it was it was exciting and challenging, though. And actually, it enabled me to start working because we're all working remotely. I was working with colleagues from the Southwest and East Midlands, which ordinarily is not really that easy to do. Mm. So I think there's been a lot of really positive outcomes to having to do remote working. It completely turned all of our training on its head. We had to cancel two training courses, which were due the week before and the actual week of lockdown. And then think about how somebody who's very non-tech savvy, which is me, I I think I can single-handedly employ most of our IT department just to to answer my insistent queries. (laughs) So I had to learn how to use Zoom and Teams and move all our training online. Our training courses are practical, hands-on conservation and collection care courses. Do lots of practical things in groups. So having to try and change everything over to being online is is um it's been quite challenging and how to train ourselves to do zoom again you know how to operate zoom we've had a few a few incidents with breakout rooms but apart from that <laughs> I'm managing quite well so i feel actually for me i'd like to keep a lot of the remote learning going even should we get back into the room at some point in the next year or so and kind of run different ways of learning and training and getting information and support out there because I think that's what this pandemic really has made us realize is we can do all of this but I think you know there's somebody said to me they can actually come on our training now whereas they can't manage it normally because of childcare issues so I think Mm -hmm. there's a whole way of of being able to integrate far more people into you know a new way really of supporting them and I think for me that's what's really exciting about it. No, absolutely. I agree. I mean, I was sitting in a, some sort of seminar the other week about precisely like remote learning and stuff like that. And uh, how people were saying that this has completely opened up, opened up the sector and people are sharing now like never before. And it's brilliant to see. And it's like you said, childcare, like it's really helped with people who are parents. It's helped with people who have other caring responsibilities for other adults. 
certainly helped open it up to a lot of disabilities as well. I was talking to a friend the other day and they said it was okay to mention this, that they're neurodiverse and they feel really intimidated by going to a new venue. So they are really hesitant to um, sign up to uh, training days and stuff like that because it's usually in a new place. They feel really nervous about it. And now they can sit in the comfort of their own home and listen to this on demand sometimes and sometimes it's live and they can do that from the safety of their home where they feel comfortable where they feel confident to ask the questions because they can ask them in writing as well yeah so it's actually been a huge deal for a lot of people and uh yeah so i think that there are a lot of like hidden benefits here that are actually really a really huge deal and we should definitely celebrate and try to hold on to uh, even as things kind of normalize a little bit in, in the future hopefully I hope so. But I have to say the only thing, well, a couple of things I miss. <laughs> I always provide a really decent free lunch with our training days. <laughs> oh, I love a free lunch. appreciated by all who come because actually on the serious side of that, one of one of the main outcomes of our, our training days when people actually come in on site is not only are they there, you know, because obviously we're offering a training course, but they get the chance to network with people and a lot of feedback we've had in the past is that London's a massive place. And I think, and it's the same all over everywhere. Often people feel quite isolated and it's quite nice to meet other people who are in similar positions or at the same stage yeah. or who have mm-hmm. the same worries and concerns as themselves and they realise they're not on their own. So, you know, we, we used to, um, and we'll get back to doing an evening course, uh, which we used to call after hours. And we'd run different subjects for two hours from six till eight after work. And then afterwards, I would pay for uh, pizza and wine in the pub. And people would network and, and, you know, they ended up volunteering in different museums, They ended up meeting up with each other and forming groups. And it was the networking aspect of that was a really important aspect. And I think that's one of the things that is more difficult to do remotely. And from the point of view, actually, of also giving online learning, it's very difficult at half past three on a Thursday afternoon when you're talking to 20 people and all you've got are little black boxes with their names in them. And you wonder how people are off cooking their tea and are you talking to an entire kind of empty room of people and will you ever know? So we do have a habit of asking people if they feel comfortable with it and if their broadband allows it, could they they put their videos on? It is a, a way of everybody being able to connect with each other, to see people's faces. It just makes it that little bit easier. But these are the kind of things we've been kind of learning as we go along, really. You can't when you're in the room with people, you you completely can pick up on what the atmosphere is like or whether perhaps people haven't engaged as much or, you know, and you can turn it around and do something different. And that's much more difficult to do remotely, I think. So I think there are new skills to, that have to be learned and maybe um, it will enhance our skills again when we get back into into a room full of people, you know, hopefully will you know make us even better at what we do. That is actually a really good point. And recently, I mean, I, God, I just go to all the conferences now, don't I? Uh, but <laughs> you do. The, the Museums Association conference was the other week and they had a session on creating engaging videos on a budget. But one of the things that really came up, because there were loads of people there, you know, a lot of outreach people, that sort of thing, who had been creating content for like Twitter or Facebook, a, a lot of like activities for children and families at home and that sort of thing. And one of the things that came out of it was that you shouldn't confuse being a good public speaker or a good teacher with being good at like you're not automatically good at then delivering video content because that was what Ooh. a real challenge. 
for people that they were used to talking to a room full of people as you say Libby uh, they were used to seeing faces around them and being able to pick up on you know people's facial expressions or body language and suddenly to talk to a webcam or talk to um, a standalone camera in the corner of the room was unsettling or it, it took it took some getting used to because you have to treat that camera as the person but nothing in your behavior as a human being kind of tells you that that camera is a person you know because it doesn't look like one because that's the problem you're talking to nothing because it's not there especially if it's a video that's being being edited later and stuff and you need to look in the right place and you need to have engaging body language and it's it's really hard it's a skill that you have to develop and it's not one that you automatically have just because you're used to talking to a room of school children or a room of adults uh, that's that's something it's a new skill set and the people are really proud of having picked up but basically they were saying don't expect it to be super easy from day one like this is a whole different thing and it's a wonderful thing to learn but it takes some learning and I, that was a really good recognition because it's that's a thing I hadn't really thought about it's interesting that you say that because this episode is part of um, two it's one of two on remote learning and for the second one in universities I've spoken to a couple of, of university teachers and I won't say who because this was part of chat beforehand but this person was describing that they would really now after doing this just be really interested in things like you know voice coaching and how to present something um, physically in a non-physical format and I thought that's that's really interesting because something I've been thinking a lot about with the preparation of both of these episodes, we're teachers because when we are teachers, we are teachers because we are good at it. We're good at the thing that we are teaching. And sometimes we have to get over the sort of, you know, stress boundaries of giving presentations and stuff because that's just, you know, life and those people who are more comfortable with it and maybe do get training with teaching in the or have had training with teaching in the past, choose to go further with it. But then, bam, suddenly, completely different scenario. And you're talking to little black boxes with their names on them. Yeah. And pretending to have the same kind of energy and enthusiasm as you would have um, in front of people with objects and, you know, examples to give and things in a, in a physical context. So it's really interesting that, that we're quite versatile people as conservators anyway. But I think this whole process is we, we've really upped our game, I think. I don't really think we've had much choice, but I think it's not just us that's, <laughs> that's true. That's true. That's finding it difficult. I think there's more. Um, I notice now when we're in a room full of people and we're wandering around and everybody's quite relaxed because we do like we know we like our training courses to be quite relaxed, so we're quite laid back mm. about it and we invite questions. It's really hard to get engagement, especially from more than one or two people, when you're doing online training. And it's, you know, there's lots of awkward silences and you're like, has anyone got a question? We use chat and all the rest of it, mm -hmm. but it's extremely difficult. And we have found breakout rules and, and um, breakout rooms and polls are quite, they've been like a mm -hmm. lifesaver to start getting people into smaller groups where they do feel more comfortable to talk and put their videos on. And that has helped the whole kind of lift the atmosphere afterwards, because I think otherwise, most of the online learning that we do is not necessarily in the webinar style. We 
our courses when we're in a room are usually we, we like to have a practical element in all of them. We like to engage people so they've got a chance to kind of, you know, um, not feel they're just being talked at for a whole day. And I think it's that's far more difficult to do online. So you've got to mm. kind of keep your energy levels up, try and read the room, keep bouncy and confident, invite people kind of into your space to talk but it's very difficult again when you're just looking at, at um, screens often when people don't particularly want to put their faces on them so I think that engagement side of learning which you often get when you're in a kind of more of a room setting that's something that we're having to relearn and, and what you were saying about kind of body language and um, phraseology that that's definitely something I would like to know more about and it's almost that sort of stuff almost comes more from like an acting kind of background doesn't mm, it really yeah exactly mm, yeah stuff and getting it out there and I, I guess it's given me a, a new kind of admiration for like the youtubers and the uh those people probably you know they have a different type of presentation skill from from the ones that i've got and and again i mean i, I guess one of the things you know i like doing audio because people can't see me because <laughs> that's that's definitely like a point of like i don't particularly like being looked at for some reason I, I don't know why i mean there must be some sort of stage fright in there so i mean i found found a way of you know presenting stuff that doesn't involve me necessarily being seen that doesn't mean that I don't sometimes do things where you know it's a presentation or something but you know I found a way around that but I love that it's it's a completely different skill set and that it's something that yeah I, I guess I just have a new admiration for people who do things like YouTube videos and all sorts of stuff I'm just like wow cool I would not do that uh, at least not now well there's also so many different I, I think it'd be really nice if we could chat about different styles of um, online presentations let's call them because there's there's different ways of doing it, isn't there? There's record yourself physically, you know, talking and pointing at things in a room. And then there's the presentation style of these are some pictures and this is a voiceover or this is a video and this is a separately recorded voiceover. So what kind of things do you do, Libby? And what do you find works well for others? Well, funnily enough, when, when we're kind of in the room training, I always ask because uh, I do training myself and a lot of my colleagues from the Museum of London also help me train. And I have paid for the department before now to have a train the trainer course, because I think there's the assumption that if you know your subject, you can stand up in front of a room of people and actually give a half decent training day. And I'm sure we've mm. all been to training days where really it's, it's been, you know, you feel like banging your head on the desk before the 11s is in the morning. <laughs> we do try to avoid that. We do feel a good lunch. At least allows people to kind of snooze through the afternoon if they're really not with us. But, um, all said, we, we try and keep people very engaged. And we've had to move that online. And what we try to say to people is, by all means, have PowerPoints, whether you're in the room or online. But can you mm. ensure there are elements where people get the chance to form groups, have a discussion, think about things and not just be talked at? And I think initially when everything went online, there was much more, it was much more a PowerPoint which was talked over. Some subjects actually really lend themselves to that. So one of the first ones we did was two and a half hours long, which, which is a long time. And I, we're now sticking to two hours. But um, it was much more of a webinar where somebody talks and there's, there's kind of a PowerPoint. And the feedback at the end, somebody said it was too basic and it was too long. Somebody else said it was it was too complicated and not long oh, enough. Wow. 
And oh, some people yeah. like Goldilocks in the three bears, and other people, everybody else, the majority of them were like, we loved it. It was the right length and it was the right level. So we're never going to please everybody. No. But, you know, we moved ourselves from sitting through them. We had, we were very lucky to get Jane Henderson um, came and did um, Hot and Sweaty. We do like an, a, a good title for our courses. And it's environment, museum environment, monitoring and control. And actually, we felt it was much more important to break it up into, we had four two-hour segments and each segment concentrated on just one specific aspect Mm. and that was I thought that was really good ordinarily that would have been one day of training and a massive amount of information so that was Jane's very engaging too so she was trying to engage people to have a conversation Mm -hmm. and um, we had breakout rooms and all the rest of it and uh, myself and a colleague have done one on pests and again that was much more relaxed it was um, engaging people to talk to us we had breakout sessions and not so much of a a PowerPoint. And I'm about to trial in the new year an actual course on mounting paper objects where we're going to post a kit out of all the things you'll need and you'll be conserving along with Claire, our paper conservator. I love that so much. We're actually structuring the day so they kind of get a bit of theory in the morning about, you know, good good techniques for mounting and display and what does and doesn't work. Then we're going to take two or three different practical tasks and they'll be able to watch Claire do it. We're videoing Claire doing it. She'll be able to talk over the top. And then they'll have time in between the sessions to kind of have a little go themselves and then we'll all come back together and do it together again in the afternoon. But I did say to Claire, I do hope it's not going to be watching 20 people slice the ends of their fingers off. Health and safety, health and safety. That's a risk assessment. Uh, yeah, well, I will be sending something out with the kids. But basically, everything people will need to do that work will be in the box that they get um, sent. Mm. So I'm hoping that, you know, we're not going to lose all of our practical courses. It doesn't translate to all courses that we could do this. But, you know, normally when we're in a room, we give people kits to take away with them, go back into their institutions and put into practice what they've learned on the day. And that's not as possible. Obviously, now we're remote. I'm actually going to have to go into work, make up the kits, have them carried out and all the rest of it. But we are going to trial that because I think, you know, even if the vaccine goes ahead, I think it's going to be, you know, most of next year, we're still going to be remote learning. I, I can't mm. really see people being very yeah. keen to get back in a room too quickly. So I think we have to keep moving forward. We have to look at what we do. We have online e-learning tools. And at the very beginning of lockdown, I, I started to get inquiries from people saying, we've done your tools. Is there um, certification? And there isn't. They're just anyone can go online and work their way through them and um, they cover emergency planning and pests and packing and handling. Uh, but obviously, people at the beginning of, of lockdown and who were on furlough were starting to spend more time, you know, like you were saying, Chloe, doing things online. So they had chosen to look at the online learning tools. So I think we need to have a think about all the different ways in which we can support people and how we best do that. I mean, obviously, I'm still going to be going ahead with my training program. That's that's part of you know what I have to do anyway. And I think we've got three more lined up and that will take me to 100 courses and over a thousand delegates since January 2014. Wow. Seven years. So they are popular, you know, training, room, having training. I do flexible training where I have a list of subjects normally and a museum can invite me to go and train on their premises. So all their staff and volunteers can be trained. 
and they can invite people from surrounding museums. So, you know, we normally do a lot of variety in our training and that has been a little bit more curtailed by going online. But we're always looking at ways that we can enhance what we do. So we're thinking of things like panel sessions where people who just might have questions can come along and ask them that I can buy in expertise and we can have surgeries so that if people are in their museum and they're having issues they can dial in and ask questions to people who who kind of experts in their field these are all things that we wouldn't necessarily have done before and we're also thinking we can do follow-up sessions so if people have had training we can then follow up online so if they have any queries or questions or examples of things they want to go through again they can bring those and ask about them so oh, you know, we're forever developing and moving forward and we get lots of feedback from people who've been on our courses and we do respond to that wherever possible as well that sounds really really good also i hope someone gets you cake for reaching over 100 <laughs> i know we would have had a big celebration maybe when we all get back but i'm, I'm quite excited actually the 100th course is going to be about hazardous collections so <laughs> lovely <laughs> I like it I also I really enjoy that that you brought up like sending out kits and stuff I know it's something that's been done um, at university level like sending out kits to students and stuff like that although I I was going to say that I've seen I want to say they were a book and paper conservator but don't completely quote me on that but they were doing um a course they would normally deliver in person and i saw this on twitter and i've always wanted to try a bit of book binding but i don't have money right now so i i couldn't like join in because you know there was a certain amount of uh, money involved for the training but she was basically putting together these little kits where people could like try binding a tiny book at home like a, a really small one Aww. and i just loved it it was everything that you needed to get started uh, plus you know her her basically talking you through it as you were doing it over zoom or something and it was the loveliest thing and i just adored the the idea of like coming home to like a a little box full of goodies which is just conservation goodies that you can just get stuck into and like i just loved the idea so much um so i do hope that other people do try that if it's something that you can do safely and stuff. I mean, you know, there's some things that you definitely can't and you're not allowed to send all the chemicals to the post. But, um, you know, some things is certainly certainly a possibility for. And, and I love that people are thinking outside the box for these things. And, uh, yeah, it just it just looked really great and it really tickled me. <laughs> Actually, I suppose we're thinking inside the box, aren't we? We're posting it out. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And, and I, normally our kits all fit into a Museum of London cotton shop. So when people are having to carry the kit home, they can put it over their shoulders and it's just I a nice London bag. And I'm thinking, I, kn- I know that they're getting um, a box sent to them, but I'm going to be putting one of the Museum of London cotton shopping bags in it just so it feels Aww. like... I think it's, I, I do think there's a huge value in just having the things within your grasp and I know that sounds really basic but something that I've been thinking a lot since I've been away on the various furloughs is I just feel so far away from my studio and when you have very specific sets of tools and materials to use it's really hard to even just you know I've got I've got a chair sitting next to me right now that it well obviously it could do with a full reupholster because cats but there's a there's some repair on it that I'm thinking that would be the perfect way to train myself in that kind of textile repair I don't have anything with me I've got a curved 
needle that I bent myself that's about three millimeters thick and that's it <laughs> that's all I've got um Aww. so and, and another example of um, and again cat damage related a 40s pattern that I stupidly left on the floor and it's been shredded by my cats um oh imagine getting that fixed <laughs> I know I know and it's even shredded in the way that is now completely open or flat so like the, if I had my glass weights and I had my wheat starch paste and I had my tissue, it would just be so beautiful. But I don't have any. I don't even have blotting paper with me. So if somebody would send me a kit, <laughs> it would be the nicest thing ever. But then you know, but you could have a go with potatoes and rice, couldn't you? You could make yourself some starch paste and you could use clean bottom jam jars. Now I really, really liked that both both you and Ilya immediately went. What does she have around the house? Well, if you could use this, see, I think I'm probably quite crap at this, right? I don't. I think that I do. I do my crafts, <laughs> and I think about clothes, clothing designs, and I can invent a pair of trousers without a pattern and make them and blah. Well, I can't do that. That's a superpower. But that's a, that's the thing. I think very much in those terms, and that's what I'm practiced in. But I've never been pushed to thinking, oh, God, what do I do now? I've got, you know, I mean, yes, of course, I use 99.9% acetone for removing nail varnish. But that's because I hate nail varnish remover because it's not proper acetone. <laughs> but that's the only, you know, my I have my home and I have my, and my lab. And that's sort of there is very much a divide there for me. You do know that you can do a lot with vodka, right? Oh, yeah, 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 definitely. I don't have any vodka because it's disgusting. I have isopropyl alcohol for my plants. <laughs> what are we talking I, about? Maybe we should get back on the topic. This is great. I'm definitely keeping this. <laughs> Unfortunately, I won't be sending out potatoes or vodka in the kits. Ah, oh, that's a shame. Proper standard oh. conservation grade materials. You know, though, I think that it's I think that it's it's an interesting it's another interesting set of learning that's bringing me in mind of some of the, the talking we've done about with university students as well. It's sort of using things like potato and vodka. I think it it gets back down to the what are these materials? Why are they working and how can I replicate them um, in a way that obviously you wouldn't use in a lab, obviously. But, you know, <laughs> it's it's kind of scientifically really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the uh, what was it like? Necessity is the mother of invention, or something. Yeah, this was another thing that I really enjoyed about the museums association talk because it was basically people because they, you know, everyone went into lockdown, and as we've already said, like you weren't really allowed to like clear out all of your beautiful supplies and just take them home with you. It was a case of you're not coming in anymore. Stay at home. But it also meant that, you know, people who were delivering outreach activities and stuff like that were in the same position as families that were home with their kids, you know, because the schools were closed. And it was a case of, okay, what do I have at home? And what will they have at home? And what can I do that's a fun activity that involves only toilet roll and crayons? <laughs> you know, like, what, is, what are they likely to have access to? And it was just fascinating to like see what they came up with and like all of the things that they could think of doing that were simple enough that it was either something people could put in their grocery order or it was, you know, something that we're likely to already have. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's it has been fun to watch and I think it's it's good to to kind of learn all of that as well. And I mean, we've even had to turn around our training to reflect COVID. So, you know, we've done entire training courses on reopening museums, the impact of COVID. 
going mm-hmm. back after lockdown from a, an IPM pest point of view. So it's all about adapting and looking at things, maybe the same things, but from a different angle as well, I think. Yeah, and I, I suppose you could, uh, because people came to you for advice and stuff, you had a reasonable idea of what people kind of needed help with very urgently. My colleagues across the board, all the different levels and types of inquiries followed in, in similar waves across across the board, really. So wow. we were all getting the same questions at roughly the yeah. same time, which again, in itself was was interesting. In December, we're, we're running On Condition, which is going to be a two-hour online course about condition reporting, how, how to write a condition report and how to use one, you know, when you get them in with loaned items. And mm. uh, that was mainly because quite a few people in the last lot of feedback have all asked for condition report courses. So, you know, it, it's really good to find out from people what they want and what sort of things need to be revisited. And obviously, at the back of all of our training, as well as the need for keeping up accreditation standards and so on. So... Do you uh, find that you get people from way outside your region now signing up to all of your training courses or is it still pretty like pretty regional? Um, No, actually, it's funny because normally, obviously, as a a rule of thumb, um, we provide uh, training and support for preferences given to non-national museums who are accredited or working towards accreditation those are the kind of the terms of the the program which is funded by Arts Council England and and there is some leeway within that um, obviously but at the moment because courses are online and we've not had any to date that we've had to limit numbers on we have been able to take people so I've had somebody from Wales somebody from Manchester Our courses are advertised on our online pages and they're also advertised in a weekly e-news bulletin, which anyone can ask for. So I don't know where it goes. It goes to thousands of people. So, you know, we do get requests. But ultimately, if we're on courses such as the one where a free kit will be sent out, then, you know, we will be giving preference to the museums. Otherwise, I could be Mm. sending kits out all over the place. And that's... Sadly, unfortunately, much as I would love to, that's not the remit at the moment. But we will yeah, trial yeah. the practical course and see how that goes. But yeah, certainly it's been nice to have people from different areas bringing their point of view into things as well and sharing their kind of their experience. So we've been talking about the sorts of things that we've been that, that are available. So we talked about kind of webinars and how we're solving hands on practical stuff. And we mentioned conferences I, I was really intrigued because you said you'd you'd used polls and stuff like that when you were when you were delivering training sessions, and and that's something that I have noticed people using depending on the platform that people are using. I mean, I know Zoom supports it and a couple of other ones as well. It is actually quite a good good way of getting people to kind of wake up from their little like um kind of slightly doing some I'm slightly multitasking, but I'm having this on in the background. But then people kind of wake up and kind of engage again, where it's like I'm gonna put a poll up. You've got 30 seconds, do your thing. It really helps to keep people engaged, I think. It's been really fun to see. It is a bit like pulling teeth, trying to get people to ask questions. <laughs> You're lucky if you get two or three people who do ask questions and they might then ask, ask follow-up questions as where the rest are kind of quiet, I've found, um, in the things that I've been attending anyway. But it is really good that the sort of chat functions and stuff that you get on Zoom and some other platforms, that they exist because it can be a networking opportunity for people as well. We open the room 15 minutes before the course starts so people can come in and have a chat and meet each other and you know but they're in oh, that's room. good yeah yeah when we start because otherwise you learn the hard way you're constantly you're trying to introduce the trainer and you're letting people <laughs> into the room because it's very difficult I think it's definitely a two-person job a zoom online because you do need somebody to be dealing with the administrative 
side of it if you're doing the training yes that's really interesting to say that yeah yeah i've noticed that it works really well if you're two people yeah so one person can keep a keep an eye on the chat as well so if people do comment or say something during the presentation the the person delivering the actual training doesn't have to look away and start reading you know the tiny text they can still focus on delivering that and there can be a second person kind of saying oh hold up we've got a question about what you just said there and actually that works great but it does massively get more awkward if it's just one person trying to do absolutely everything so yeah that's a really good point I think the thing is when we learned myself and um, my colleague Abby were about to do a training course and we went on a Zoom training course on how to use Zoom, which was great because it gave us more confidence. <laughs> but I think we've we've learned more by attending other courses and deciding what does or doesn't work. Opening the room 15 minutes beforehand, don't go longer than two hours as a rule, have a break in the middle, you know, leave yourself time at the end to overrun. Always set up chat to save because that's brilliant. You can send a load mm. of stuff out from that, including all the live links that people put in chat, which is very useful, I think. You mm. know, so actually all in, it works really well. I think the only thing I've had from one person was that they were dyslexic and that chat can prove quite challenging. We do also offer the option for people to stay when the course is finished if they want to ask any further questions or they just like a quieter word. So we try and kind of keep that balance going to accommodate as many people as we can. But oh, that's really got good. That kind of management of the course down to a fairly something that suits us I think now you know we we feel more confident so the trainer joins me half an hour before we start so we can make sure everything's right for them you know everything's set up I make them a co-host straight away in case in case my broadband disappears (laughs) you know they can I can email somebody else saying can you join in now and then you can help them so you know we we try and mitigate all the issues but I'm sure there'll be something hideous that crops up that we've not even thought (laughs) you know especially you know with the building works going on I'm sure somebody's just going to cut through our our broadband cable at some point in the middle of (laughs) the stakes are quite high now with the internet aren't they (laughs) the stakes are pretty high and my my cat's joined virtually every single training course I've done I think he's he's got the amazing side in Britain (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I am a huge fan of this. We had my Cuthbert on our recording this morning. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Somebody had sent me a whole load of pest traps to look at at home and he managed to get one of them stuck to his buttock. Did <laughs> 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 he? Cat-related incidents <laughs> since I've been working from home, but he's so far away survived. <laughs> Cats always manage to get themselves <laughs> into stupid situations. I think they do it on purpose because they like the drama. Uh, we asked people on Twitter, basically, if they like attending conferences online, because there there were a couple of wrapping up the other week, and I was just curious. So I basically asked if if people like attending things online. Twenty one percent ended up saying yes, I prefer it, with sixteen percent saying yes, it's just as good as the real thing, and fifty two point nine percent said sure, but I really miss mingling. So people do miss that kind of personal connection on the kind of the the being there in person and and about nine percent said uh, that it just wasn't for them they didn't like it at all so overwhelmingly it is positive but people do have this kind of thing where they do miss being there in person which i thought was quite interesting 
We did get some interesting replies as well. Some people said they can't focus if they have to sit still because they have ADHD. So being able to do uh, practical things like uh, cleaning something or rehousing something whilst listening to a panel or a talk actually means they can process and retain what's being said. So whilst that, you know, it would be impossible in a room, you know, where, where you're supposed to look attentive. But the fact that they can actually outsource the busy part of their brain to do something practical whilst also listening and retaining what's being said, it's actually a huge boon to them, which I thought was a really interesting thing. Uh, someone said they actually missed the occasional travel because it gets, gets them out of the house, which I thought was quite <laughs> sweet. Someone said they feel the talks are just as good online, but the mingling and social side just isn't the same, mm. uh, even with meets and greets and like the you know virtual pub nights or whatever it is that people do, that they still find that they really miss just seeing people in person. Someone said, I usually attend so few conferences because I can't really afford to travel to them. So they've had a massive CPD boost this year, which they really appreciate. Yeah, someone else said that it's great they can be attending American panels and conferences, but they miss networking and uh, and having things like pub meets and that sort of thing. And like going on tours, snooping other, in other people's stores and studios, they miss oh, that. Oh, yeah, I miss that too. Yeah, which is like that usual little extra carrot, mm. isn't it? Like come for a training day and also go and look at some stuff. <laughs> I have to say those bits are my hands down favorite and it might be because I'm <laughs> dyslexic and I do find it quite difficult sitting in a lecture. Yeah, yeah. Even though I know it will be helpful. But seeing other people's stores and workspaces is, oh, love it. Love it. Someone else said that they're actually really grateful that people are traveling less because it's just better for the environment, which is mm. a fair point. Someone said, hate having to do everything online because they miss socializing with people because they're an extrovert. But there are also benefits. So almost all sessions are now captioned because they, are, uh, they have hearing loss. So they can engage more, which is great. Session clash decisions no longer stressful because almost everything is recorded and uh, they can watch things later if they're not in that session. That's a good point. I always have massive like fear of missing out when I'm at a conference that's big <laughs> enough to have different sessions. And I'm always like, oh, I really wish I was in the other one too. I wish I was three people right now. Yeah. Because it's not the same swapping notes. I, I, yeah, it's not the same. <laughs> <laughs> but they said they uh, when they get exhausted from listening, they can switch off and then listen again later, which is fair enough, because that can be really hard work on a lot of people. And no, uh, no 8.30 a.m. starts, <laughs> uh, because they're quite grateful that things tend to be at a more flexible time of day, which I think is great. Uh, she points out that it's also good for people with chronic health problems who might, you know, mm -hmm. find an early morning start really challenging. Mm-hmm. Uh, the price is right, no travel costs, but uh, people say that they would like more ways of interacting with other attendees. So here we're back to how do people interact with each other, which is interesting. And uh, someone else says, uh, much easier to attend conferences virtually that I would otherwise never have thought to attend. But they're getting much less from each individual conference. That's interesting. So the information is still there, but they don't feel as satisfied going to them. That's interesting. That is interesting, yeah. I think I always assume that conferences and this sort of thing online is accessible after the fact, but it's not always the case, is it? It really depends. A lot of these things 
are surprisingly one-off still mm. but it can be because they because of corporate agreements uh so they don't it might be that the museums involved haven't given their consent to having their uh. stuff available forever online for example or it can be that participants in panels for example don't consent to having themselves recorded and put on the internet forever i mean it, being on the internet forever is kind of a you know that's, that's a tough gig and it's not for everyone not everyone wants that especially if it's something that's a bit more um maybe off the cuff it's not edited it's uh no take backsies that that stuff can be you know it can be hard it can be intimidating and sometimes people just straight up opt out of that and then you have to respect that even if it's one person on a panel of five you got to cut the whole panel so you know some some things aren't available afterwards and some things are only available afterwards for a short amount of time i think that's what they're doing with ic for example because their conference you can catch up on if you if you're a member it's free i think if you're not a member i think you had up until a couple of days ago or something to like pay them 25 pounds and you can watch it for a month but then it's gone then it's gone after that so i've certainly been to some free things uh, done by the british library uh, that aren't conservation related but are like business webinars and stuff like that and they send you the recording of the thing the the thing afterwards but it's only avail- available for a week so you've got a little bit of catching up time but not like you can watch this anytime you'd want and you can't download it and save it there are different ways of controlling who sees what and uses what when which is actually something that people have been asking us about um, in terms of uh, intellectual property and how people can safeguard the kind of training that they deliver and stuff like that if they don't want it to be available forever or be able to be copied and spread out to people and then they lose income and all sorts of things. There, there have been some interesting questions and I can't answer them because I'm I'm not like an IP lawyer. Um, <laughs> however, I am looking to maybe try to do an episode on it. So if Ooh. you do have questions, questions of that nature do send them to us so that's something that we can explore in a different uh, episode but you know you're probably right to be concerned you know there's there's a lot of it's a whole new world and uh, you know we need to think about some of these things so yeah um ask away people um and i'll see if i can find someone with the knowledge to share but yeah but yes, there there are ups and there are upsides and slight drawbacks to the way that we do things now. But largely, I'm really enjoying this world that we're in. So I'm wondering, Libby, as we've just heard from Jenny, enjoying the new life that she's leading, attending all the training. What would you say to people like me who are in lockdown too, thinking I'm going to CPD now? And looking at all the different options and thinking, oh, gosh, there are so many. What do I start with? Where do I go from here? You know, how do I even sort of prioritize what it is that I need to or want to study online? What would you say to those people and me? I think it's very tempting to have a go at absolutely everything. And then you'll just I think you probably get learning burnout. Right. So I would say (laughs) you've got to you've got to be interested in or or enjoy I think something that you're going to attend so I would pick things that particularly interest me or in which I know that I would like to know more but I definitely want to do that and I'd probably write a whole list of what's available and then I go back through it and be realistic about how much time I want to give to that because it can be quite demoralizing as well if you book onto training and then a person's expecting you there perhaps and you don't turn up right 
it has been an issue. I know for certain colleagues when because the courses are free. So in a way, you're not, you know, you're not bound to turn up either. Mm. And if you have got limited numbers or, you know, there's an entire list of people there and, and 14 out of the 20 don't turn up. That can be a bit demoralising for whoever's actually giving the training course. Yeah. Or, you know, they're there expecting you. So but I would also say get enjoyment out of it. And do it because you want to do it and do it if it's relevant to your job. But I still think for me, I have to enjoy learning about that subject and finding out more. But actually, funnily enough, I've just sat through the plastics conference today because I just I'm just love plastics. They're one of the things I'm massively interested in. Um, but there was a talk on natural history and I did actually think, oh, I'll just I might just turn that off and get on. I've got to read this report today. But I started listening to the talk on natural history and I learned so much about (laughs) plastics in natural history that now I'm going to have to do the report later on this evening because I spent the whole time listening to the talk. Choose your learning wisely. Choose the things that you're, you're passionate about and you want to learn about and you know will benefit you. And don't try and get overwhelmed by doing 20 things in a week because you probably won't enter any of them. Right. Top advice. Thank you very much. So given all the stuff that we've been talking about, uh, something that conservators have been extremely fond of during this trialling year um, has been a webinar series run by the Icon Book and Paper Group. And uh, I talked to uh, their chair about how that came to be because it's been a massive success. And yeah, we'll listen to that now. So I'm Abby Bainbridge and I run Bainbridge Conservation doing book and paper conservation. And then I'm also the chair of the book and paper group of ICON. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So Conservation Together at Home started in March and uh, it's a bit of a hit. Was it a direct response to lockdown or was this something that you'd been planning for ages? Or Yes, it was a response to lockdown. Um, I think it was lucky that we'd been having committee meetings remotely for a while just because our committee's quite spread out. So we were already familiar with Zoom and we had the account. And then Fiona McLeese, who used to be on our committee and is now a trustee, had the idea of trying to get some kind of talk series together. And we thought we might be able to convince people who had papers already, you know, that they'd given at other conferences to re-give them online to reach a broader audience and give people something kind of positive professionally to look forward to while everybody was on lockdown. Yeah. So I can't remember the timeline quite, but it was... It was a day or two, I think. Maybe it was just a day from having the idea to getting a couple speakers lined up. And we started it the next week. We had many more people than we thought um, who both wanted to give talks and wanted to hear them. So yeah. it worked out really well. Yeah, definitely. Oh, that's amazing. Because, uh, yeah, because you were right off the bat there. Like, you you got it done quick. That was amazing. It's <laughs> <laughs> like immediately, like, here's something for you. And it was just like, oh, my God, that's what everyone wants. We've got a really great committee of um, people who are all really enthusiastic about trying to find ways we can do something. Yeah. And I think we were all mindful of conferences in person that were getting cancelled. The big Copenhagen conference for book and paper people yeah. had just been cancelled. And we just cancelled our AGM, which we usually have a few talks at. So, yeah, yeah, we just wanted to do something. I think everyone feels better doing something proactive. And it's, I think, um, initially... Um, 
at least you know because i'm an objects conservator i was like oh are they only gonna do paper ones do you think and then suddenly it was like it's everything <laughs> it's literally everything and i was like this is this is so cool this is amazing yeah in the end i think four or five other groups joined us so yeah. we had the kind of like master organization of it but each group that wanted to participate organized their own speakers and everyone just kind of claimed a day and we had consistent time so that people would know when to expect something but then most of them as long as copyright of images wasn't a problem yeah people were happy for the talks to be recorded and put on the website so that you could catch up with them later yeah i mean that's been amazing because you know that having things available on demand has been a really big deal for a lot of people you know so it's yeah I think that's been a real selling point for it as well. Yeah, I mean, everybody has different things going on with their schedule. And at the time, you know, a lot of us had kids at home that were definitely interfering with productivity. So, (laughs) yeah, I mean, even for me, I stopped watching a lot of them live and was catching up afterwards because I had the kids around. But it was also really nice watching them live and knowing other people were doing it and sharing images and tweets online. People really came together. It was brilliant. At At the time of recording, they're like... 46 webinars I think to catch up on if yeah that sounds right if you've missed these definitely do go and have a look and they cover all sorts of topics that did you expect this to snowball into the huge success that it it is like what do you have any idea of like numbers like how many people have watched them or we had to um get a a bigger zoom subscription to accommodate the number of people that were watching it so our zoom uh capacity is 500 in the audience Mm. and i think we had almost 600 register for that first talk but whoa not everybody showed up and i think we had just i think we had something like 498 it was just under 500 in the end wow and then i think for people who watched live i want to say it was around 3000 just for the book and paper group ones i don't have the stats for all of them and then at least that number not live by the end of the series because we stopped doing it soon after lockdown ended when we were all getting back to work and having less time for it but yeah and from all over the world and non-icon members and non-conservators even so it was quite nice to be to know that we were interacting with people that weren't our usual audience yeah we have a conference coming up next year Mm. the information of how people participated in that series has been really helpful in planning an online conference for next year yeah and knowing that we'll get people from a broader geographic area maybe non-conservators you know gives us an idea of how we might use this for outreach rather than just talking to ourselves yeah although that's important too Although the thing is, you know, there are so many things online now. We were talking about this just in scheduling the call, but, you know, every week there's at least one, if not more, free conferences going on. Yeah. And it's really hard to keep up with all the opportunities. And I kind of constantly feel like I'm missing something I could be doing. (laughs) Same. (laughs) Um, But it's not like there's any less work to do. So, yeah, yeah, it's it's nice that everything's moved online, but it's it's a bit overwhelming in a way, too. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Suddenly there's this buffet that's always open and it's like, oh, oh, it really is all you can eat. Yeah. Do you feel like this is something you're going to pick up again or are you happy to leave it off here and like let other people carry on doing online webinars if they want to, that sort of thing? I think we're going to leave it here. We haven't, you know, decided to never do it again. But I think our steam kind of ran out for that series. It's more work than it looks to organize it. And it requires, you know, a couple of people being available on the day to make it all run smoothly. So to keep up that kind of pace is hard. But we're definitely going to have other online events. And where we can, we'll put the videos on the same YouTube channel. Mm. 
so that people can catch up with things later and and kind of develop more of an online resource of training and lectures and whatever other kind of events we hold. So there's loads to look forward to, basically. I hope so. What would you say the biggest challenge has been in like developing this and running it? For me, it was being available at four o'clock oh, yeah. on all the days that I wanted to be. <laughs> I definitely had kids throwing tantrums in the background while I was hosting <laughs> calls. And I don't know how audible it is in the recording, but it was very audible to me. <laughs> or, you know, it, it just took as the admin, as I mentioned, it meant running each new person through how Zoom webinars work, which I think is probably reasonably familiar to people now, but yeah. it wasn't so much then. And figuring out how to coordinate with the other groups effectively so that we didn't clash with each other's events and things like that. Mm. But the speakers were all amazingly generous and just pouring in offering talks. There were people still offering talks when we had to end the series. Oh, gosh, yeah. That part of it was great. It was just the admin that was difficult. Yeah. I think in terms of planning bigger events online like conferences, the problem is fitting in as much as you want mm. while keeping people's attention because I think an all-day event doesn't work, which is what was nice about that series. Just having one talk mm, yeah. feels like a manageable thing to pop in on. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's interesting. It's something I've noticed with how all of these online conferences work. Sometimes if they're all day affairs, then it get it just gets too tiring. Um, and I, yep. it's not that I lose interest because I am interested. It's just, I, I kind of need to have a, have a break. Well, to be honest, I mean, that was something I struggled with, with conferences in person, yeah. the information yeah. overload yeah, definitely. on top of the, um, you know, talking to people yeah. all day and kind of being on for an introvert overload. Yeah. So it's, it's that part's not any different at the computer. And then it's a little bit harder to keep the focus when there are so many other things demanding your attention. Yeah, absolutely. And in some ways, it's interesting that it's almost harder because you're in your own environment where there's always something to be doing. You know, like if you're at home, yep. there's always some chore that needs doing. That's something I, I have a studio at home. And, and so that's always the struggle. There's always work that can be done during yeah. home time. And there's always home things that need to be done during work time. It's hard to switch off the other thing entirely. Yeah. So in, in some ways, I kind of miss having complete permission to just be there in the moment. Yeah. Whilst... I mean, I, like you, I'm an introvert, so I find it very taxing to go to things in person. Like, it's it's so tiring. I need, like, a whole day to recover afterwards. But yeah. at the same time, you have complete permission to be in the moment in a way that you kind of... It's it's hard to give yourself that permission when you're, when you're yeah. sat at home. And that, that's... It's a strange balance to strike. Well, there's a cost to it, right? I mean, when you go in person, you've decided to spend that day yeah. of your work time there doing nothing else. And then you can't change your mind about it because you're there. And yeah. I don't think that happens as easily at home. Yeah, definitely. So that's definitely something that, you know, that's an interesting difference. What are you most proud of with the series? I'm just proud of how grateful people were to have it. Oh. And that we did something that people found value in mm. uh, we were all really pleasantly surprised by how many people were tuning in and how many nice messages we got from people saying you know going out of their way to say thank you yeah it was really rewarding in that way do you have any advice to people who want to maybe do something similar I don't know but I think we need to think about cost really like I I was really glad that people were willing to give their talks for free and in their own time largely. Yeah. But I do also think we need to be paying people for their time mm. and thinking about 
what we're willing to pay for online because yeah. I think there's a there's been so much free things and we made the series free for a reason but at the same time I think we need to think about how conservators are compensated for their time and the fact that something's being delivered online doesn't make it any less work for the person yeah, no, preparing the yeah. talk or the class or whatever. So that's 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 what I'm kind of thinking about now myself is what am I willing to spend on a class and what would I want to be paid for a class? And I think that's going to be a hard balance to strike with so many free things still going on. That's a really good point and uh, definitely something I think the sector will need to think about like as a whole. Yeah. It's not so much advice as uh, pointing out a problem, but um, that's yeah. still useful. <laughs> advice to the people paying for it, I guess. <laughs> you need funding, even if you're not there in person. Yeah. If you're enjoying the C word and would like to support our work, then please consider becoming one of our patrons. For as little as one dollar per month, you can help us keep our episodes online and more of them coming. Patreon helps us meet our regular costs for the show and also to plan ahead so we know roughly how much of a monthly budget we've got. That's super helpful when you're trying to do something special like buy a better microphone or save up to go to a special event. Your support also helps keep us free of advertisements. In return, our supporters get access to our archive of extended episodes, which you can only access on our Patreon page. Yeah, for that $1 a month, you get a little extra audio enjoyment. We've crunched the numbers, and it's about 10% extra content on a regular basis. Well, that's not bad for less than a cup of coffee, eh? If supporting us sounds like something you'd like to do, then head over to patreon.com slash the C word and join our bunch of absolute champions. Thanks for listening. We're the C word, and you'll be listening to Libby Finney, Chloe Rumsey, and me, Jenna Mathiason. Join us next time for another episode about learning remotely. In the meantime, check out our website at theseawood.show, tweet us at theseawoodpodcast, or simply email us on theseawoodpodcast at gmail.com. The intro and outro music is Spring by Didi Music, used under Creative Commons Attribution License. Additional music and sound effects by Callum Robertson. This has been a Wooden Dice production. 